Make plans to join us April 1st through 3rd for the 2019 Gospel Coalition National Conference. Conversations with Jesus. Listeners to Word of the Week can receive $40 off registration by entering the discount code PODCAST at checkout. Register today at thegospelcoalition.org slash TGC19. Here, the thing which has been broken through negligence or foolishness isn't a pretty sculpture crafted by another human being. It's God's perfect law. So the question is, the question each of us have to ask God is, what's the bill? This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, When You Can't Buy What You Break, was preached by Adriel Sanchez at North Park Presbyterian Church, San Diego, on October the 21st, 2018. The text is Leviticus, chapter 5, verse 14, through chapter 6, verse 7. Listen now to Adriel Sanchez on When You Can't Buy What You Break. Well, if you would open up your Bibles this uh, morning to the book of Leviticus, chapter 5. It's where we left off last week as we've been uh, going through the various offerings here at the beginning of Leviticus in the first six chapters. Leviticus chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, is where we're going to pick up. And if you'd stand for the reading of God's word this morning. I'm going to read to chapter 6, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation, a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, and then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all of the things that the people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity today to worship you. We ask 
that you would grant us now, Lord, the uh, just illumination of your Holy Spirit so that we would understand your word here in Leviticus. God, would you speak to us through the preaching of the gospel today, through the preaching of your word? Would you minister to our hearts? And uh, we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. This was last week. I visited Old Town, San Diego, uh, with some friends. It had been years since, you know, growing up in San Diego, it had been years since I'd gone to Old Town. And we were walking around Old Town after dinner, just checking out, uh, Old Town, San Diego. And I happen to be a fan of, uh, old pipes, um, you know, like the Gandalf type pipes. And there in the middle of Old Town, there's this vintage pipe store with all sorts of antique pipes from the late, uh, 1800s. They're on display. You can look at them. None of them are, are really for sale. They're just in these big glass containers. And they look really cool. Many of them have, you know, uh, faces carved into them. They're all I mean, like little pieces of art, you know, hand-done pieces of art from the late 1800s. And I noticed, uh, looking at all of these display cases, that prominently placed above each one of them was a sign that read, if you break it, you buy it. If you break a pipe, you buy it. You've probably heard uh, that saying before. And so I sort of took a step back. You know, I didn't want to break a pipe out of clumsiness. I'm not sure how much a hundred year old pipe costs, but I didn't want to be the one to find out. Just uh, earlier this year in June, there was a family in Kansas that was hit with an enormous bill because their child broke something that was very expensive. CBS News reported surveillance video recorded last week at the Tomahawk Ridge Community Center in Overland Park, Kansas, shows two young boys running around and playing with each other while a group of adults sat and chatted nearby. It was all fun and games until one five-year-old decided to stop and admire the art. The boy can be seen hugging the base of a sculpture called Aphrodite de Kansas City by local artist Bill Lyons. And the statue starts to wobble and tilts toward the floor, and then the mighty Aphrodite comes tumbling down. The boy appears uninjured, but the statue did not survive the fall unscathed. The boy's mother, Sarah Goodman, said she initially thought it would cost around $800, but that wasn't even close. No, it's $132,000, she said later. As she found out, the family received a letter from the city of Overland's insurance company accusing them of negligence for not monitoring their children. So all that to say, you know, watch your kids in the church service because uh, a lot of special things around here. You know, it's all fun and games until you break something. And then when you do that kind of damage, especially if you were negligent, it's expected that you pay, that you fork over the cash in order to make things right. You need to make restitution or compensation. And as we've been studying the various offerings and sacrifices here in the beginning of the book of Leviticus, we've, we've seen that some of them, three of them, including the one we're looking at this morning, the guilt offering, have to do with dealing with sin. The tabernacle was like this sin removal system. And three of these sacrifices dealt with not just sin, but its consequences, its effects. We looked at the first sacrifice in chapter one, the burnt offering, and, and we saw there that the focus was on being reconciled with God. It was this picture of full consecration. The whole animal was consumed all on, on the altar, on the bronze altar. And it was like you were entering back into the presence of God through this animal reconciliation, the burnt offering. Last week, when we looked at the sin offering or the purification offering in chapter four, we focused on the idea of cleansing. 
that sin pollutes not only the worshiper, but also the house of God. And so there needs to be cleansing. And the priests were the cleansers, and they would use the sacrificial blood to purify the tabernacle, the place of worship. And so the the sin offering or the purification offering deals with the pollution that sin causes. Today, this offering, the guilt offering, emphasizes yet another element of uh, the effects of sin, what sin does in our lives, it emphasizes that sin requires payment. In other words, it's not just enough to experience forgiveness, to have our slate wipe clean. Things need to be made right. You have to pay what you owe because of what you broke. That's what the guilt offering is all about. And the piece of art in question here, the thing which has been broken through negligence or foolishness, isn't a pretty sculpture crafted by another human being. It's God's perfect law. It's God's holy law. And so the question is, the question each of us have to ask God is, what's the bill? What do I owe you? And that's what the guilt offering is about here. It's about compensation. This text is broken up into two parts. We had in chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, focuses on compensation related to the the complex of God's place of worship, the tabernacle. Then in chapter 6, verses uh, verses 1 through 7, the focus is on compensation related to when when a member of the community sins against another member of the community. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So, uh, uh, compensation related to the sanctuary, the complex, and compensation related to the community, other people, brothers and sisters that we, we sin against and we incur guilt. Is there anything in your house that you treat as sacred? Something you don't want the kids to touch. I don't have a lot of things in my house that are super valuable, but one thing I really like is books, and I spent a few years collecting, you know, theology books and church history books. And in our house, I have somewhat of an office, my own personal holy of holies, and the kids know they're not to transgress the inner sanctum. They're not supposed to go in. And my two-year-old has a knack for desecrating books. And so I need to make sure that the books that I really value are uh, placed high because if he makes his way into my office and he has a pen, he likes to write and scribble on the books and in the holy books. In the Old Testament, God's kids sometimes vandalized God's house. Here in, in this chapter or these chapters, what we're seeing is it was unintentional. It didn't mean to do it, but it happened nevertheless. Chapter 5, verse 14, says that the guilt offering has to do with transgressing the holy things of the Lord. Now, what exactly are those things? What does that mean? Well, in Leviticus chapter 27, we learn that a holy thing is something that has been dedicated by man to God. It could be an animal, one of the sacrificial animals. It could be a home or land. It could be tithe, the money that the worshipers would give to the tabernacle or to the temple. Now, perhaps if if they've sinned in this way, they, they face a fine of sorts. Leviticus in chapter 22 also defines the holy things as the food that the priests would eat, the sacrificial meals that they would participate in. We read there, if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. And so 
This offering, this guilt offering, addresses a type of sacrilege, transgressing the holy things of the Lord. You've trespassed on God's property in some way unintentionally. If somebody sins in this way, or if they sinned in this way under, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, they were required to bring a ram without blemish valued in silver shekels. Now, this is actually really interesting. This is what makes the guilt offering unique. As I've said, each of these different offerings sort of focuses on a different element of sin and its effects. And this is focusing on payment. In the words of uh, scholar and rabbi Jacob Milgram, this is the only sacrifice of the five sacrifices that we see in Leviticus 1 through 5 that is commutable to currency. The focus here is on money and payment. You'll note that in the description of this sacrifice that I, that I read, you don't really hear much about how the sacrifice is done, where they put the blood, how the animal is slaughtered. I mean, that was the focus on, on all the other ones. But you have here, the focus here, at least initially, is on the value of the sacrificial animal. How much is it worth? Verse 16 says, He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and he shall add a fifth to it, and give it to the priest, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. So you have three things happening here with the guilt offering. One, the person making the offering needs to restore what has been broken. What is, what is it that they've messed up related to the holy things of the Lord? Somehow the priest was able to determine the cost of the offense. And so, so the worshiper has to pay that, and then on top of that, they're charged 20%. There's a 20% fine, we read. Then, after they've paid, after they've, they've made compensation, they bring a ram, a, a spotless ram forward, and that animal is sacrificed, and then they experience, we're told, forgiveness. Now, some scholars note that a 20% fine is really, when it comes to sinning against the sanctuary of the Lord, really is quite lenient. If you've ever gotten a parking ticket here in North Park and you didn't pay it within 21 days, it immediately doubles 100%. And then if you forget to pay it for another 21 days, it goes up again. Parking enforcement is ruthless and its laws are without mercy. Um, But God is kind. And when his people would mess up unintentionally, park in the red by accident, if you will, he required only that they pay a small fine, 20%. Now, if the holy things are things that belong to God, then certainly included in that is people. And in particular, God's covenant people, we're told here in this passage. And so six, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, focuses on addressing those trespasses that are committed against members of God's community, the holy covenant people of God. If a person sins against God by deceiving his neighbor, it could be a financial dispute, It could be robbery. It could be holding on to something that someone lets you borrow and then lying about having it. You were required to go to that person once you realized your guilt to restore what it was that you were holding back, what it was that you had defrauded. And then on top of that, again, there was this 20% fine. So you had to give them 20% more. Then and only then you would take your ram to the priest, offer it as a guilt offering for what you had done. The priest would make atonement for you. And and that's when you would, as a worshiper under the old covenant, experience God's forgiveness. Once you went through this ritual. Now get this. 
when it came to sinning against the complex, the tabernacle, or the community, the person was only to seek reconciliation with God after they had made the required restitution to the desecrated sanctuary or the defrauded person. Let me state that a different way. Stated perhaps a little bit more bluntly. Here's what God is saying. If you've sinned against your brother or your sister, if there's unsettled business between the two of you, before you come to me looking for fellowship and communion, go to your brother and handle your business. Now, I wonder if this morning you're here and you've come to worship God, to seek his grace and his forgiveness, but you've defrauded your neighbor. You've closed your heart toward your brother or sister, and yet you think this morning that your heart is open before God. Friends, you cannot have a soft heart toward God and a cold heart toward your neighbor. Jesus speaks about this. If you still got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5, a passage right, that many of us have read over and over again, but maybe understanding this guilt offering, let's read it in a new light. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. The words of our Lord Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. It's an allusion here to this guilt offering. Jesus is only reinforcing what we're reading in Leviticus chapter 5 and 6. Don't have murder and insult in your heart towards your brother or sister and come to me and presume that everything is good, God says. Go to them first. Make peace. Make restitution. Every Sunday, we have a passing of the peace in our liturgy. Historically, in the Christian liturgy, this was uh, called the kiss of peace. In the ancient Near East, you know, they didn't shake hands. They'd kiss each other on the cheeks. It would take place in the context of the liturgy before taking the Lord's Supper, prior to communion. And it wasn't really supposed to just be a time of greeting, although oftentimes in churches today, that's, that's what it becomes, just kind of like, hey, how was last night? How are you doing? So on and so forth. That, that really is not the focus of the passing of the peace or the kiss of peace. We often, I think, unintentionally treat it that way. But you know what it was about? It was really about, it was always intended to be a time to do what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. 
to make and extend peace with others in the body of Christ, lest we come to the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, with animosity in our hearts toward our brothers. It was supposed to be a reminder to the Christian congregation, hey, we better be at peace with each other because we're coming to offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving to receive his body and blood. We better be at peace with each other. It's a reminder of the fact that God's forgiveness has made us a family. Therefore, we must love and forgive each other. And too often what happens in the church today is somebody does something that bothers us and we just never go to them. We never talk about it. We, we might tell others about it, but we don't tell them about it. Or somebody sins against us and instead of seeking to reconcile, to make peace, we just sort of cut them off. They're dead to me. Now think about it for a second. God cares so much about the peace and the purity of his congregation that he commands us to make peace with each other before we offer our gifts to him. And he shows us here by the guilt offering that our sin, whether it is against the holy sanctuary or the holy people, the community requires payment. It's not just enough to be forgiven. You've got to pay for what you've broken. You've got to make things right. And so again, as I said, that question that we have to ask is, well, God, what is the bill? What do I owe because of my sin. And the thing is, we've sinned so much, the debt we've incurred is so big that according to the Bible, we just don't have enough money to make amends. Sort of like a Taiwanese boy I read about back in 2015, the 12 year old boy was visiting an art museum in Taipei. And while admiring the different pieces of art, he stumbled in the museum hall. And when he put his hand out to steady himself, he accidentally punched a hole in a 17th century Baroque style painting by Paolo Porpora titled Flowers. The painting was valued at $1.5 million. Now, fortunately for this 12-year-old boy, insurance covered the piece. But could you imagine being on the hook for a mistake like that, most of us, probably all of us right in this room, couldn't just be like, oh, sure, here, let me pay that bill. And that's how it is when it comes to our sins. Not only are they too numerous, the list, the list of offenses is too long. Unintentional sins and intentional sins together. We've overdrafted the account over and over and over again. We can't even begin to pay it. Not only is the list so long, but also what we've broken, as I said earlier, is priceless. It's God's perfect law. It's the beautiful reflection of His holy character. So you've got to imagine the, the Old Testament sacrifices, these guilt offerings, really in the long run wouldn't suffice at all not to deal with, with sin and the debt that we had incurred. And so rather than force us to pay the bill that we owed, God in the gospel steps into the story and says, let me cover your debt. And that's 
what the Christian gospel is all about, that Jesus Christ has paid what each one of us owe because of our sin, but we could never supply. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, a verse that many of you have heard over and over and over again. Listen to how it describes the sacrifice of Jesus in the light of this context, payment for sin and guilt. It was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. And listen to this phrase. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That phrase, when his soul when his life makes an offering for guilt. It's the exact same word we find here in Leviticus chapter 5 describing the guilt offerings. Jesus Christ came and paid with his life the debt that sinners owe to satisfy the justice of God. He is, we're told there in Isaiah chapter 53, our guilt offering. Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, says that God purchased us from the futile ways inherited by our forefathers, not with corruptible things like silver and gold. No amount of money could pay for the debt that we owe. He says, God has redeemed us. He's paid for us with his precious blood, with his life. Friends, do not ever offend God by trying to offer to him a payment for your sins. By thinking, oh, if I just do such and such, God will forgive me or owe me forgiveness. No amount of charity or works done in righteousness can pay for the perfect law of God that each of us have broken. Instead, in the gospel, God calls us to accept and to receive his generosity toward us, to let him take the tab, if you will, because we know that this is a bill that we could never pay. This is a debt that we could never make right. And you know what happens when we experience that that massive forgiveness, that massive grace, the wiping away of our debt through Jesus Christ is it changes us. It should change us. As his people. In the New Testament gospel reading today, you heard about the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. He was a chief tax collector. He would take advantage of people and he got rich doing so. He was, he was a master defrauder. And yet Jesus pursued him. And as Jesus pursued him, Zacchaeus proclaimed, knowing that he was in the presence of the Holy One, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. This is more than just 20%, right? Zacchaeus is saying, I'm not just going to give back one-fifth. That was the temple fine for defrauding somebody. He's saying, I'm going to pay back 400%. Because he had experienced the massive grace of God, the forgiveness of God that wiped out all of his debt. And Jesus responds and says to him, today salvation has come to this house. 
Friends, we, followers of Jesus, those who claim to have experienced his forgiveness and mercy, should be the most quick to reconcile, hasty to forgive, to give back fourfold where we have defrauded others and injured others. The lavish salvation of God has visited your house and it transforms you. It transformed Zacchaeus. Jesus has paid the debt of sin that you could never pay and he gives you that perfect credit to your account so that you might go and be a generous giver and forgiver. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for not only reconciling us to you through Christ and cleansing our sins, uh, the pollution of sin through Jesus, but also, Lord God, for the payment that Jesus gave with his own life on our behalf to cleanse us of our debt and to purify our consciences to serve you. We ask, gracious God, as we meditate once again this morning on his marvelous sacrifice for us, that it would cause us to be like Zacchaeus, so quick to make peace with others, with those who we've sinned against, to pursue, Lord, those who have sinned against us, to extend to them your forgiveness, your mercy, the same mercy that you've shown to us. Be with us, Lord, now again we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.